Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company, and you can find out more by visiting their very robust website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. We have terrific guests for today's show, including uh, Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. He's an author of several books, mainly on past presidents, and we'll be talking about current global affairs. We'll visit with Crystal Kinzel. She's the Collier Clerk of Circuit Court uh, and controller, Comptroller uh, for the Collier County. We'll be talking about plans and programs and services that they have at the clerk's office. We'll also visit with Jim McTagg. He is author of a couple of books. His latest are uh, Follow the Leader and Shake the Money Tree, two uh, murder mysteries, with, uh, and there's a sequel, one to the other. It is August the 31st. Can you believe it already? The end of August, and on this day in 1980, just 40 years ago, representatives of the communist government of Poland agreed to the demands of striking shipyard workers in the city of Gdansk. Former electrician Lech Walesa uh, led the strike workers, who went on to form Solidarity, the first independent labor union to develop in the Soviet bloc nation. This took amazing courage. In July 1980, facing economic crisis, Poland's government raised the price of food and other goods while curbing the growth of wages. This is what happens with centralized government. The prices hikes made it difficult for many Poles to afford basic necessities, and a wave of strikes swept the country. Amid mounting tensions, a popular forklift operator was fired from the Lenin shipyard in northern Polish city of Gdansk, and in mid-August, some 17,000 shipyard workers began a sit-down strike to campaign for a reinstatement, as well as for a modest increase in wages. They are led by the former shipyard uh, electrician Lech Walesa, uh, who had himself been fired for union acti- activism four years earlier. Despite governmental censorship and attempts to keep uh, news of the strike from getting out, similar protests broke across the cities throughout Poland. And on the 17th of August, an interfactory strike uh, committee presented the Polish government with 21 ambitious demands, including the right to organize and independent trade unions, the right to strike, the release of political prisoners, and increased freedom of expression. Fearing the general strike would lead to a national revolt, the government sent a commission to Gdansk to negotiate with the rebellious workers. On the 31st, Walensa and the deputy premier signed an agreement, giving them to many of the workers' demands. Well, it's assigned the document with a giant ballpoint pen decorated with a picture of the newly elected pope, uh, the former archbishop of, of Krakow. Some 6,000 solidary activists were arrested, including Walesa, who was detained for almost a year. The solidary movement moved underground, where it continued to enjoy support from international leaders such as President Ronald Reagan, who imposed sanctions on Poland. Walesa was awarded the 1983 Nobel Peace Prize, and after the fall of communism in 1989, he became the first president of Poland ever to be elected by popular vote. Inspiring story, the Poles are really strong people standing up to the force and might of communism. Well, let's talk about COVID-19, and this is the first day of school, so um, my hope is I can quell some of the concerns that people have about what might happen as a result. There are 46 new cases uh, and two additional deaths on Friday, 53 new cases of COVID-19 and two additional deaths in Cuyahoga County on Saturday, and then 34 new cases uh, yesterday with no additional deaths. That's 133 cases in three days. That's very low in terms of the national a- or the uh, county average. The 38-year-old man is the third youngest person in Cuyahoga County to reportedly die of COVID-19. Those younger were a 32-year-old woman who reportedly died in April and a 35-year-old man who died in June. So as you can see, uh, the youngest people are still in their 30s. Uh, No people in their teens are in school age. Cuyahoga County's cumulative total is 176 deaths. The seven-day average is at 53 uh, August 5th, it was 106, and that's this is, this is the average of new cases. Friday, there were 55 patients in hospitals. Just uh, about a month ago, there was about 180 in hospital, Collier County hospitals. 
So children and young people are far less likely than adults to get severe cases of COVID-19 infection and deaths from the pandemic disease among children. It's exceptionally rare. This according to a UK research study that came out on Thursday. A study of COVID-19 patients admitted to 138 hospitals in Britain found that less than 1% of children and uh, those fewer than 1% or 6 in total died of all, all of whom were already suffering serious illness or underlying health disorders. We can be quite sure that COVID itself is not causing harm to children on a significant scale, said Malcolm Semple. He's a professor of outbreak medicine and child's health at Britain's University of Liverpool, who co-led the work. The highest level message we could really that has is that the children with COVID-19 severe disease is rare and death is vanishingly rare and that parents should be comforted that children will not be at direct harm by going back to school, he told the briefing. That should be very reassuring. Global data on the spread of the coronavirus pandemic shows that children and young people making up only 1% to 2% of cases of COVID-19 worldwide. Worldwide, just 1% to 2% of cases. The vast majority of reported infections in children are mild and asymptomatic with few recorded deaths. In addition, according to the Gateway Pundit, now get this, this week the CDC quietly updated the COVID numbers to admit that only 6% of deaths recorded uh, from COVID-19 actually died from COVID-19. The other 94% had it on the death certificate died with COVID-19, but not from COVID-19. That's right. The CDC said only 6% of deaths. And about That's uh, currently with 174, 5,000 deaths, about 10,500 deaths from COVID-19. The other 94%, again, two to three serious illnesses, and the overwhelming majority were of very advanced age. In addition, there are fewer deaths of any cause in the U.S. to date than there were in 2018. That's right. Overall, the deaths uh, from 2018 to today, they're down. Or since 2009, so, uh, so most of these COVID-19-related deaths would probably have occurred anyhow. There's no, no bump in deaths in the United States because of COVID-19. I'm not dismissing the sadness of any life lost. I'm just saying that the pandemic of fear is extremely contagious and a bigger threat to our health than COVID-19. And by the way, according to the New York Times, potentially 90% of those who have tested positive for COVID-19 have such insignificant amounts of virus present in their bodies that such individuals do not need to isolate, nor are they candidates for contact tracing. 90%. Leading public health experts are now concerned that overtesting is responsible for misdiagnosing a huge number of people with harmless amounts of virus in their systems. Most of these people are not likely to be contagious, and identifying them may contribute to bottlenecks that prevent those who are contagious from being found on time or at the times. This is the New York Times saying this. 90% of those tested don't, shouldn't be a concern at all. So this is uh, just shocking information. So it should be reassuring to parents who are think sending their kids off to school today. I think you'll find that uh, things will work out well. At least that's my thought. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Coming up, we're going to visit with Mark Schulman. He's the founder and publisher of a terrific multimedia website. It's called historycentral.com. We're going to be talking about current global affairs, that and more, right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No 
reservations are needed, check out the website at lulubees.com and stop by Lulubees Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulubees Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulubees Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Gulf Shore Playhouse, devoted to creating professional New York-style theater at its very best and at affordable prices, presents a fabulous new season of productions beginning in November with a world premiere of a one-man show written by and starring the talented associate artistic director of Gulf Shore Playhouse, Jeffrey Bender. Pinup Girls opens in January, singing a cavalcade of hits inspired by real letters from our troops overseas. Inspired by what they find funny, romantic, heartbreaking, and sexy, the ladies put on a show that celebrate the guys and gals who fight to defend our country. Bang Bang opens in March, written by legendary actor of Monty Python fame, John Cleese. You'll surely be wiping away tears of laughter with this one. William Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream opens in March. Meddling parents, impetuous young lovers, and cunning fairies collide in Shakespeare's enchanting classic. Another Revolution by Jacqueline Bircher opens in May. You won't want to miss this timely new work about finding hope in one another through the uncertainty of the world around us. What a terrific season of productions. Tickets for this great new season are available now. Tickets start at only $38. Tickets can be purchased by calling the box office at 866-811-4111 or visiting the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. Great season lined up, and you can get tickets now by visiting uh, gulfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Crystal Kinzel. She is the Collier County Clerk of Circuit Court and Controller of Collier County. Uh, right now we have with us Mark Schulman, as I mentioned before the break. He's the founder and publisher of a terrific multimedia website, HistoryCentral.com. Good for kids of all ages, including you and I. Check it out, HistoryCentral.com. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. So, Mark, I understand that there's an historic event happening at, at the uh, United Arab Emirates, uh, maybe right, going on right, right now. Right, right, right now, um, the last minutes of a flight between directly from Tel Aviv to the United Arab Emirates. It's particularly historic because this is the first time an LR plane has been allowed to overfly Saudi Arabia. To get from Israel to the United Arab Emirates without going across Saudi Arabia is like a seven-and-a-half-hour flight. I reckon it's two-and-a-half hours. Wow. So, uh, so the Saudis agreed. I mean, it also has Jared Kushner on board. It's an American delegation, an Israeli delegation. I'm going to have a first you know, public... Uh, meeting in the United Arab Emirates about uh, about you know full diplomatic relations and everything else relating to that. So I would say you know on the scale of things, it's a a clear accomplishment, probably the biggest accomplishment of the Trump administration when it comes to foreign affairs. Yeah, and, um, and it sounds like the Sa- Saudis might be wanting to jump on board, given that they've allowed the Saudis. Are, uh, the Saudis are cautious. Um, so I mean, the Saudi and, Is- and Israel have relations under the table from all reports, um, but they're cautious, mm-hmm. and um, my guess is they're going to remain cautious, but for Israel and for if Al-Al ever starts flying again, which is a whole other story, it would be a huge thing if Saudi Arabia allows Israeli planes to fly across its airspace, because it would cut uh, the period of time of flight, let's say, to India by three hours. So, so you know, Mark, it sounds like uh, uh, UAE and uh, the... Uh, Israel, they're all in on this agreement. I think it sounds like they really want to push forward and make make progress. No, absolutely. Look, it's, the two co- company, countries, excuse me, have uh, economies that are symbiotic to each other. Israel has tech uh, that would be very helpful, and UAE has been trying to become a tech center. UAE has lots of extra money to invest, and Israeli high tech is always looking for investment. And so it really is a much more symbiotic relationship, let's say, than um, Israel's with Egypt, there is Israel with Jordan, where the economies, while there's a relationship with such, they don't mesh in the same sort of way as Israel and the UAE mesh in terms of those sort of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, you know, one of the things we have to keep in mind 
is there is no enmity between the peoples of the two countries. No one's fought a war ever. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there's a peace agreement. It's an important and everything else, but it's not like making peace between two enemies. Um, so that works both ways. It's, on one hand, it's not as big an accomplishment when you think about it. On the other hand, it makes it easier to have a warm peace when you've never fought against each other. Yeah, so the, what's so. been conspicuously absent in the dialogue about all this is Egypt. Any thoughts there? Well, Egypt has silently been been supportive of it. Remember, Egypt is a Sunni country. Uh, the UAE is Sunni, and part of the reason for this whole arrangement is a um, bulk walk against Iran, a fear that, uh, you know, what will happen um, if the United States um, removes its umbrella of protection and those sort of matters. And so there's always that, that's the concern. And Israel and Egypt, of course, have been uh, working together in terms of security in the Sinai Desert all this time. Uh, there is no warm peace, though. It's a, it's a cold peace between mm-hmm. the two countries, between the two peoples. Let me, let me make that clear: that between the peoples, the countries themselves get along fine, but there is a cold peace between the peoples. Yeah, so, so this kind um, of begs the question about where this agreement might go. What any kind of can you paint us a picture or thoughts about where where all this well, might end okay, up? I mean, where it might go is again some of the non-direct non-countries um, that have not fought Israel in wars and a Sunni and are trying to align themselves with the Sunni alliance against Iran, there's likely to be some additional movement in that direction. The United States is pushing for it. Of course, you know, we don't know how, you know, at this point, uh, President Trump to some extent becomes, you know, whether he, he's not quite a lame duck, but no one knows what, you know, what will be. So there's a certain amount of um, reluctance to make commitments based on whether President Trump will be president and, mm. you know, in uh Seven months, or whatever it is, January. Yeah, um, but I think I see more uh, more relations with those countries. Um, look, at some point, the Palestinians, who are the forgotten party in this thing, is going to have to understand that they're going to need to make some compromises if they want to get back to the table. And their problem has always been they've never been willing to make the most fundamental compromises required for peace. I mean, there are Israelis who don't want to make those compromises either. But by and large. If you poll the Israeli people time and time again, they're willing to make the compromises. Uh, Palestinian leaders never, and certainly the Israeli leaders over yeah. over the decades, from Rabin and to Barak and Olmert, and sometimes Netanyahu have been willing to make those compromises. The Palestinians never have been. So we'll see. Maybe it'll be an incentive. It's it's so hard to say. You know, we live in this strange world that it, it's so hard to know on so many different levels. Where we're going. Yeah. So the, the, uh, it kind of begs the question also, the last question on this would be, uh, uh, what do you think the reaction to the Russians or the Chinese might be about this agreement? Interesting question. Um, the Russians and the Chinese sort of sit on the side in both of these cases. They both have strong relations with Iran, um, but the Russians have sort of bogged down in Syria. This doesn't affect their, their fighting in Syria as much, and they have issues with Turkey. So I think in both cases, they're sort of on the side. Like Israel has good relations both with Russia and China. It's managed to, to balance, you know, very, it's a very difficult thing in the world today to do is to balance your relationships with China and the United States, obviously. There's a lot of cross-investment going on between China and Israel. Again, the same sort of situation where you have um, economies that are symbiotic in, in, many, in many ways. Yeah. So... Um, I think both of them are on the side. They're all in, they're in favor. They have nothing. They don't object in any which way, as far right. as I can see. All right. So interesting. Uh, Margaret, uh, how about uh, let's move to Belarus and what's going on. There's always violent uh, protests about so the elections. violent demonstrations. You have hundreds of thousands in the streets. People all want this dictator to go. On the other hand, the Russians, quote, unquote, are preparing a reserve police force. In case there's police force from China on him. Mark, Mark uh, you're, you're, fading, you're fading in and out. I don't know if you're... Okay, okay, sorry. The Russians said they're preparing a reserve police force. Mm. So in case his police force should fade on him, the Russians are ready to send in a police force. Mm. So that's a problem. More imperialism. Uh, we have not... We, hmm? More imperialism. More imperialism, more Putinism. Look, listen, the United States government, uh, President Trump, has really never, never said... You know something very strongly against Putin, which is a which is a real problem here. Um, the Be- the Baltic states have all made it very clear that they stand against the the current leader of, of Belarus. Europe stands against the current leader of Belarus. Um, 
United States has been mostly silent. Um, so that's you know one of the one of the many unclear situations that exist in the world today that we don't really understand. So, yeah. So do you think uh, this? But, do you think this leader of Belarus will uh, will be able to sustain his leadership there as his control? I don't think so. I think uh, he, his support is very, very thin. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't have the money, let's say, if, you know, uh, as if he's like, you know, sitting on oil or anything else that he can manipulate people in those sort of ways. His only hope is if Putin manages to to prop him up. Um, but, you know, you never know. Again, the security personnel, one of the things that dictators do is they take good care of their security people. Right. Uh, will they turn on him at some point? The odds are high. This sort of reminds me very much of Romania, Romania, Romania. Excuse me. In the time of Ceausescu, who had ultimate rule, complete control, everything, a hundred percent, until one day he found himself hanging from a lamppost because the people turned on him and the police turned. Yeah, just remember, this is the anniversary of the uh, uh, signing of the uh, agreement in Poland with uh, Lech Walesa and the uh, and the Polish government. I mean, because of the people rose up, so there is hope. In fact, that the, in fact the people will finally say, "No, Mas, we're not going to do this anymore." Well, absolutely. But you know, you mentioned Poland as a side. The interesting thing is, we we we. We commemorate it more than the Polish government because the present Polish government, the people involved, were not involved in that movement back then. So they sort of paid very little attention to those days also. That's so interesting. Everyone seems to want to rewrite history in their own image. Yeah, that's so interesting, Mark. Uh, Last question is Is there anything, uh, before we take a break, anything we should make of this, uh, the. Russian uh, jet fighters coming uh, close to the bomber over Alaska, the United States uh, bomber? You know, it's an interesting question to try to understand what Putin has been up to. He's obviously, this is not the first time this has happened regularly, things that have not happened since the Cold War. Um, I can't really explain what he's hoping to accomplish by doing this. I think he's making a tactical mistake, in my opinion, a strategic mistake, let's put it that way. The one thing he never wanted to do is really anger the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't really know why he's doing it. Um, but he's doing this rather, con- you know, consistently. It's not just this one case. There have been many cases around the world, different places, whether at sea or in the air, where the Russians have been acting much more aggressive. Also concerning the fact we're not, you know, we, we're not in a Cold War with them at the moment. Let's put it that way. Well, you know, but there is unrest in, in uh, Russia, and it makes me wonder. If, usually what happens is leaders are trying to provoke something internationally to draw attention away from the unrest of the people. Is there anything like that yeah, going on? Really, the only problem I have with that is, Putin has been involved in a rather um, adventurous, shall we call it, foreign affairs for the last 10 years, 15 years. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at all the things he's done, whether it's been in Syria, Syria and yeah. in Libya. And he, he's been very, very adventurous, you know, punching way above his weight of a country in foreign affairs in all these years, interfering in our elections, all the things that he's been doing. And um, so I don't know if this is anything new responding to the demonstrations so this is just putin being putin yeah and you know sometimes uh, we we think maybe he came out of a time warp and really thinks he's still fighting the cold <laughs> war i don't know okay mark shulman again the founder and publisher of a terrific website historycentral.com uh mark can you stick around we'd like to talk more about this absolutely Bob. all right we're going to have more here on the bob harden show on the uh, bob harden broadcasting network Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice are the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. 
Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. I proudly serve on their board, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. And that's just one of the initiatives. And I hope you'll check out the website, thefga.org, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief, Right now, we continue the conversation with Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. Again, Mark, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, Bob. So let's a little update, by the way, from our previous story, which I don't know whether there's a connection or not, but it's just breaking that there have been two explosions in uh, United Arab Emirates and Abu, Abu, Dubai, Abu Dubai, where the Israeli delegation is scheduled to arrive in any in a few minutes, so mm, that's uh, a little bit of troubling news. Don't don't know whether it's connected in any which way, but it is it is a fact. Two separate explosions um, in the last few hours. So you said that was in Abu Dhabi, Abu Dhabi. Yeah, this is in Abu Dhabi, which is the uh, capital of UAE. Interesting. Wow. So we'll, we'll watch that. But apparently, it it if you connect the dots, somebody's not happy with this with this agreement. Right, clearly. If, if that is the case, that clearly, you know, and certainly you have to point your finger at Iranian agents more than anybody else. Hmm, interesting. Uh, so let's move to uh, what's happening in Germany. Protests about masks, about the lockdowns. Uh, can you give us an update? Right, so very clearly it's the far right in Germany that is protesting. Um, and they're protesting the orders to wear masks. And, uh, uh, very un-German, let's put it this way. The one thing you can count on the Germans is to follow the rules usually in terms of public health. Mm-hmm. Um, so there have been these demonstrations. They've gotten um, violent, I would say. Um, there have been arrests. Um, you know, there has been this uh, revision, uh, renewal of the far-right and neo-Nazis in Germany, and it's been growing in the last five to ten years pretty much under the radar. And now it's become more, uh, more visible in the last um, last few months, and now they've actually taken to the streets. So um, it's um, a troubling a troubling thing, especially the more and more of these things become politicized. Yeah. Is, is a real problem. I guess it's um, fair to say it's the far right. I, I, to me, it, it appears to me to look like those who want to protect their liberties and they're concerned about these government intrusions, which you know, maybe it's just a mask now, but it's one another step towards uh, control, and uh, people don't like that. So I'm, I'm not sure that it's neo-Nazi. Well, but, okay, this particular thing, you can't say it's a neo-Nazi view, but the same groups of people have clearly been neo-Nazis. I see. So, you again, see. you can't you, you can't separate out, you can't say that, well, because you don't want to wear a mask, you're a neo-Nazi. Obviously, that <laughs> you know, goes more to what you were saying. But on the other hand, it seems to be that the people who are part of the neo-Nazi parties in Germany are the ones that are out there protesting against the mask. Yeah. Now, again, they could just be taking a ride on a, you know, on something that's not so popular. Let's put it that way. Nobody likes wearing a mask, whether you agree to wear it or you don't agree to wear it. No one likes the fact that you have to wear a mask. So it's a it's a good populist theme. Yeah. Remember something when you look back at the at the history of Nazism, for instance, um, they rose on populist themes. Yeah. They didn't, you know, they didn't come to power based on you know we're going to create World War Two and genocide against the Jews and. They they rose to power on populist. 
Well, of uh, course, uh, the, the, uh, the agreement in 1919 uh, pretty much put a chokehold on Germany, certainly, certainly gave a lot of ammunition to the uh, populace uh, for, for what was going on in Germany. They had no money. They had no hope. Yeah, except that Germany had been recovering until the Great Depression hit. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, the, the history, people have written history a little bit, uh, a little bit in the wrong ways, shall we say. Uh, yes, the agreements were onerous, and they were probably too onerous. Yeah. The Versailles agreements, and they probably took too much money and things of that nature. But the German economy in 26 and 27 was doing much, much better. And then 29 came about, and the world went into a depression. Yeah, so, so many with it. but uh, you know, I I think I'm reading I'm reading about uh, protests in the UK or all around uh, Europe actually about this. So, so it's it's I think it's not just isolated to uh, to Germany. No, look, we have there's, there's a worldwide problem that exists here in Israel as well at the moment. The issue is that by and large, most countries, in order to control the virus, and they control the virus by entering into strict curfews of one kind or another, closing you know various aspects of the economy. Some a little bit more, some a little bit less. You can you know look at each country, and each one had its own variety of things. They did it on the whole the whole country. In almost all the countries, they were successful in bringing down the number of cases, the death rate, everything across the board uh, to very very low numbers as a result of the effort. Um, but now, as they release, obviously you can't stay in this situation forever. Yeah. Uh, as they release, the number of cases is coming back up, and so people are afraid of you know going back into those situations of uh, curfews and other limitations. No one, no one wants these things. No one likes these things. Yeah, but Mike, uh, Mark, I'll, I'll, just, I'll say this. Uh, there may be a correlation about the mass and the reduction in cases, but it's not necessarily causal. No, I didn't say the masks alone. I'm talking about there's no question that the curfews, there is no if, ands, or buts that putting a curfew on, closing all the restaurants, closing everything down, brings down the, the, the rate. That's, you know, epidemiology 101. If people can't meet, they can't spread the disease. Yeah. So if you keep everybody in their houses, for the sake of argument, if you keep everyone in their houses indefinitely, you're not going to spread a disease. Yeah. Impossible. You can't. So, the, you know, it's not the, the masks are a second, secondary issue we can discuss. The pluses and minuses of masks, it seems to work. It's working in both directions at this point. I just had a good example in South Korea where, um, where someone who was had a, had uh, COVID nineteen went into a, a Starbucks of all things. Uh, no one was wearing a mask except for the baristas, and everybody in that Starbucks got the disease except the two baristas. Yeah. So, Mark, you're you're in Israel right now. I've, I, I'd meant to uh, start off our conversation with this, but uh, right now you're pretty much in a lockdown. Are you not in terms of uh, what's happening? No, we're not. Not at all. That's one of the issues. But Israel gave up its lockdown in June, and at that point. Um, the um, uh, the cases started to grow. They particularly came. The schools went back in June, and instead of closing back the schools, they let the schools could finish the year. And the cases grew, and they grew, and now it's one of the highest rates in the world. And the politicians can't agree to take any of the uh, any of the steps, other than closing the wedding halls, which have you know big weddings of thousands of yeah. people. They can't take any of the steps to to try to cut it back because they're afraid of the people, the people who have lost faith because, once again, the um, numbers were way, way down. Israel was down to 5 to 10 cases a day. So, Mark, I, 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 so the, the real question is, how is the health care system doing? Are the, is it being overwhelmed right now? And uh, how about deaths? The health care system is still managing, but we're getting close to the point of overwhelming. In other words, the number of severe cases in the hospitals has been slowly rising. Uh, it was at 50 at the beginning of July, it's now at 450 or so. Mm -hmm. At the moment, they say 600 is the line where the where the hospitals can no longer manage. Now, unfortunately, the numbers go down every day on one level because people are dying. Yeah. Um, but our pain, so, are deaths going up? Deaths, deaths are going up. Slowly but surely, deaths are going up. Mm. Um, and this is a result of, you know, it takes, as we know, as we've seen in the United States, it takes six to eight weeks from the time the number of, Cases goes up until deaths. Uh, yeah, deaths are 
or the opposite, you know, take much longer. Well, this, this, this is concerning. I mean, you know, we all hope, of course, that uh, we're seeing a reduction in cases here, and we hope that this is fading away, but uh, what's happening is Israel should be concerning to all of us. Mark Schulman, no, again. We should be concerned. We should be worried. You know, we'll see. Let's yeah, hope for the best. All I can say is we yeah. hope to get back to normal lives soon. Yeah, absolutely. Mark Schulman, again, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. Genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a great week, Bob. You as well, thank you. All right, coming up, uh, we're going to visit with uh, Crystal Kinzel. She is the Collier Clerk of Courts of Circuit Court and uh, Controller of Collier County. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For the best in food and drink, as well as great live entertainment, go to the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar. Formerly known as Weekend Willie's, the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar has terrific new local owners offering a great new upscale decor and a fabulous new menu. Linda and I are weekly regulars to hear live blues, but you can stop by anytime for great food and drink, to watch your favorite sporting event, or to hear great live entertainment five nights a week. The Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar is located at 5310 Shirley Street, just off Pine Ridge Road. And it's open from 11 a.m. until close every day. Visit the website dogtoothnaples.com or call 431-7004. That's 431-7004. I hope we'll see you there. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. I served as board chairman for 15 years and so proud of the progress we've made. Just great productions. You can get tickets at golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg. He's an author and former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. Right now we have with us Crystal, Crystal Kinzel. She is the Collier Clerk of the Circuit Court and Controller of Collier County. Crystal, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob, for having us. Oh, my pleasure indeed. Well, you know, I, I'm really pleased to have this conversation because many of us aren't aware of what happens at the at the clerk of courts, what role you play in the in the county. Maybe you could tell us about it. Well, thank you. I I have recognized that as I was just most recently campaigning. A lot of people aren't aware of the many many services of our office, and um, the reason we exist is totally for the taxpayer. So it's important to get in outreach programs like yours, so I can't explain it. Um, the clerk of courts has three primary roles. We are clerk to the courts, and that involves all the record-keeping, processing, collecting fines and fees. We handle the processing of very important things like domestic violence injunctions. Um, we will help individuals process paperwork. We have a self-help center that we've just created in the last year where individuals can do minor uh, court processes, uh, small family claims, tenant and landlord issues, um, some civil but, um, you know, uncomplicated items mm -hmm. that they can come to our office and work through those themselves um, without having to hire an attorney. Wow. So we think that that provides a lot of um, service for the, the taxpayers. Um, the courts, we also handle um, the in-court collection of the jury. Many people will get a notice from us saying you have jury duty. Right now, those are on hold until about October 
because of COVID. So we've had to really change up our operations, um, but we have continued to be in business through e-filing and e-recording. Mm-hmm. And that brings me to the second phase. We are the keeper of all of your official records, things like your deeds, your marriage licenses. And you may have heard on TV or radio previously um, that there is a lot of fraud going on yeah. with deeds and those records. So in the last two years, we have created a public service where the community can register on our website at callyourclerk.com and um, put their information that we have on record in Collier County. They can identify that, and if a transaction occurs using the wor- their name or those instruments, we will email them and say, hey, um, we've received something in your name. Is this legitimate? And then they have an opportunity to go right then and make sure the record and the recording is legitimate. So we're responsible for that. And again, we have e-recording, which makes it a remote and automated process. But we are still available. We also perform marriages. Hmm. And we are one of the uh, only, we are the only, actually, in Collier County, um, assistance for passport issuance. Hmm. Now, we don't issue the passports, but we will facilitate the record, the records and help you get those to the proper official so that you can um, get a passport. Well, that's just a lot of interesting information uh, there, Crystal. Uh, just one question I have. Sure. One of the things I'm concerned about is uh, you see these advertisements saying somebody's going to steal your deed of your home and you find out you don't own your home. Is that really possible? Um, well, actually, yes, it is. Um, they, it's it's not as easy, I don't believe, as maybe they advertise, mm. but recording your information, and particularly in Florida, is all public record. So if you are not checking on the validity of your documents, and they could be uh, falsified, things could be re-recorded um, falsely, Wow! and so there is that opportunity. But I please, um, all of your listeners, you do not need to pay $99 or $109. You can get notified regarding your records in Collier County free yeah, at our a, website. That's a great service. So we go to callyourclerk.gov.com. Very simple. Callyourclerk.com. All right. And uh, we, is, is we, how do you navigate? You just go try and do a search on your name or... Um, yes. In other words, we will have, if you go to our website on the right-hand side, it'll talk about the fraud or risk alert. Um, you can then click on that, and it will walk you through how to register for that process. That's and it's free of charge. That sounds terrific. I never knew that, Krista. Very helpful. The, the other thing I'd like to ask you, if you have a dispute with someone, apparently you're making it easy to resolve minor disputes that, that require some sort of legal action without an attorney. Now, how do you, how do you, uh, how do, you do that? Okay. The, first of all, I would recommend everyone... Um, we have worked and worked to make our website very robust. Mm-hmm. So callyourclerk.com can walk them through almost any process. And we have large buttons. They're easily identifiable to each of those processes. And as always, they can call our office, and we'll be glad to guide them through the website, or we'll be glad to walk them through the forms. But we do have also an on-site processing center um, that they can come see the forms, get copies of forms, or work online from our office, and that way we can help them navigate. All right. So well, they have an opportunity in a multiple ways. Yeah, so one of the things I want to do is after the show is go to callyourgov.com. and uh, no, callyourclerk.com. Callyourclerk.com and uh, check out the services. I wasn't even yes. aware of this. This is, this is interesting. I want to ask you also, uh, used to your uh, former Clerk of Courts, uh, Dwight Brock, uh, had the dust-up with the Cuyahoga County Commissioners. It was usually involving, I think, uh, money being spent. Uh, can you comment on that? Right. Well, there's the third role of the Clerk of Courts. We are your comptroller and custodian of all the county funds mm-hmm. and auditor of the Board of County Commissioners. So many of those conflicts arose out of our audit function. Um, we are the watchdog for the taxpayer. While we work with the commissioners, and I'm glad to report no litigation pending. Great. Um, we're working regularly with county staff and vendors. But um, there are situations where we are watching out one and only for the taxpayers. And uh, that's my role as clerk. And we work on behalf of the citizens. We audit. We make sure the payments are legal. 
Now, we don't set policy. The Board of County Commissioners set that policy and determine how the money is being spent, and we just make sure that follows legal guidelines. Well, that certainly makes sense, Crystal. What's the biggest issue you're dealing with right now? Probably um, COVID. (laughs) Funding for our courts has uh, statewide. We've been impacted significantly. Um, The revenue stream for our operations of the courts for clerks statewide is volatile um, in that it it, um, isn't a a constant. Mm -hmm. We have to earn it to use it. Collier is very fortunate that we are a donor county. In other words, we make and generate more revenue than we are budgeted or allocated by the state. But when those revenues go down because of COVID, no citations, court processes were stopped for a while. Um, those budgetary constraints um, will impact us. Yeah. And uh, moving into 2021, we're looking at about a $700,000 cut at the state level hmm. that we're obviously hoping doesn't um, come to reality. But right now, those are the projections. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, Crystal, uh, does, is in some way, did, can I infer from what you're saying that's, uh, that some of the uh, judicial activity of the circuit court is slowing down? Is not, we're not moving forward with uh, things that should be adjudicated? Well, correct. We, right now, um, based on the COVID statistics, each county, particularly um, statewide, but particularly for the 20th judicial, we meet with the judiciary by phone and then regularly and locally in Collier County um, every week to see the status of COVID and COVID cases. Mm. So we are currently processing many, many non-jury types of activities. Yeah. So, but we're doing them remotely with people in different rooms on Zoom, and we had to shift our entire processes to accommodate that. Um, because of the level of COVID uh, positivity in Collier, we're not yet to jury trials and some of those other processes. So those are backlogging. Wow. Most recently, we were able to get back and do quite a bit of the backlogged foreclosure and uh, tax deed sale proceedings that we normally hold. That's another role of the clerk of courts. Yeah. Uh, Crystal, I just genuinely appreciate that. By the way, congratulations on your on your election, too. That was uh, just recent. So, uh, again, yeah. re-elected. Crystal Kensel, again, clerk of court of the circuit court of, uh, and controller. Genuinely appreciate your coming on the show. They're very in- interesting and, and informative. Thank you so much well, for joining us. Thank, thank you, Bob, and I hope to have the opportunity as we progress through the next four years. Um, I want to keep the citizens informed. All right. Thank so, you so much, Crystal. Thank you. All right, uh, coming up, we're going to visit with uh, Jim McTagg. Jim is a uh, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. He retired a couple years ago. He's written a couple of books, Murder Mysteries, in, in Washington, D.C. They are terrific. One is uh, Follow the Leader. The second is Shake the Money Tree. It's a sequel. We're going to talk to Jim. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Do you or a family member suffer from chronic pain in your knees, hips, or shoulders? Joint pain can be a nagging and serious problem requiring expert and compassionate care. I know I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. Until 2006, I was suffering debilitating pain and deformity in my knees. I couldn't enjoy biking or golf or even sleep without chronic pain as a constant companion. Thanks to Dr. George Markovich and the professional staff at the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, my pain is gone, and I'm back to doing the activities I enjoy with no pain. I have a lifestyle I can only imagine. Imagine prior to knee surgery, and you can too. Call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. They will thoroughly evaluate your condition, provide personalized, state-of-the-art treatment, and help you relieve your pain and get back to your active lifestyle. At the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, your care will be professionally managed through every phase of your recovery. For an initial consultation, call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, located off Tamiami Trail in Bonita Springs, at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. 
You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-3889 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. We have with us Jim McTagg. As I mentioned before the break, he is former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and now author of several books. His latest two are uh, Follow the Leader and Shake the Money Tree, two great murder mysteries happening right there in Washington, D.C. Jim, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure. As I like to tell people, my life is murder. (laughs) So, speaking of which, you know, you're in Washington, D.C. Can you make some comments of what's going on there? We see the people, these uh, protesters going into restaurants and demanding that people raise their fists. It just looks so intrusive and awful. Well, yeah, I mean, we've always had a, an obnoxious contingent to our population here. Uh, I have a business in, in downtown Washington, uh, uh, two blocks from the White House. So I go down there a couple times a, a month. And that formerly beautiful area of the city, a tourist mecca, you know, Lafayette Park across mm-hmm. from the White House, mm-hmm. is um, it looks like a war zone. Uh, the White House and Lafayette Park are surrounded by a black chain-link fence. All the area uh, businesses and office buildings uh, two blocks beyond that are boarded up. Uh. The, uh, you know, uh, the uh, protests are, are sporadic, but they're violent. I yeah. mean, uh, some police were in, people were blinded, uh, one of the policemen, one of his eyes with a laser. So these protesters are not peaceful. Uh, the police have uh, resorted to force, and uh, the public is not complaining here. Yeah, because it's about the you know I'm a flower power kind of guy. You know I'd like to get out there and uh, give peace a chance and practice our religion and and you know you don't win converts by uh, screaming and cursing at them. You right. Don't, you know you don't change. Uh, but I'm kind of fed up. Yeah. I think it's time that you get those people out of there and you throw the violent ones in jail and you get a judge who's going to be severe. He's not going to be a patsy judge and and give these people, uh, you know, a get out of frail jail free card. All right, so, so this is this is the thing, Jim. Uh, look at what's happening in Portland, Oregon right now, and the violence goes on now for more than 90 days. And, uh, you know, certainly the Wheeler is the uh, mayor, and he's uh, certainly not uh, doing his job. He, yeah, the president's calling him incompetent. But the other part of this is the uh, district attorney who just won't prosecute. I mean, so she's let six, 600 folks go, and she's, of course, funded. Her, her campaign was funded by George Soros. So which, there's certain amounts of crimes that she won't, she will not uh, con- uh, convict. She won't she move forward with prosecution. And the consequence is that people are willing to break the law, and they understand they can do it right there in Portland, Oregon. Well, two things. First of all, Washington is a national, a federal city, so it's different. Portland, that's a local thing. I don't care. Uh, number two, I don't think you should link Soros. I mean, he gave you, but I doubt that he's dictating to the uh, district attorney uh, who she should prosecute. That's no, of course, he's not, of course he's not doing that. What he's done is he's selected people who won't prosecute. They're activists, uh, judicial people. That's, that's who he's funding in order, and funding them well so they'll win the election. 
Well, but the point, Portland's always been a wacko place. I have a brother who lives there, so I know a little <laughs> bit more about Portland than you read about in the newspapers. Uh, that's their problem. That's not Donald Trump's problem, unless you know he can protect the federal properties. Yeah. I, you know that's that's his prerogative. But in terms of uh, uh, Portland or even my native Philadelphia, which is a horrible mess, uh, you go to downtown Philadelphia at night. And the, the the homeless encampment, the tents, just stretch for miles. It's 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 an absolute disgrace. Yeah. That you know the mayor there, Jim Kenney, uh, is another uh, patsy mayor that lets uh, the rabble take over public places. Um, but that's their problem. That's not uh, you know uh, Washington D.C. It's a different problem. Now, of so, course it is. So let's let's talk let's talk a little bit about Joe Biden and what well, he's coming out of the basement. He's going to go up. I guess it's been announced that he's going to go to Pittsburgh today. That he didn't even announce the location. What's going on there? Uh, yeah, Pennsylvania is a swing state. The latest polls uh, show that. Uh, Biden's once commanding lead in that swing state is eroding, and the violence is really having an impact yeah. uh, on voters. Uh, the uh, you know when you have these scenes blasted at you over the television constantly, it magnifies the situation. Mm-hmm. So uh, so it doesn't only affect the people in in Portland or uh, Kenosha, but. Uh, you know, it's in everybody's uh, living room. Yeah. So that's affecting the polls. Uh, the, the president is kind of throwing gas on the fire. I mean, uh, it, you know, the violence is really helping his campaign effort. And I think he's going to try to milk it, uh, which, by the way, I think is just uh, the absolute wrong thing to do. Uh, he shouldn't be going to Wisconsin. Um, I, I just think it sends the, the wrong message it's it's an incitement to violence. It's not a a way to end the violence. But that's you know that's one man's opinion. Yeah. So uh, I mean uh, he's he's not only going there, but he the request now is that they he provide uh, troops to come in there and to help quell the violence. So uh, you know in juxtaposition, as I recall, uh, the uh, Attorney General and the President of the United States, Barack Obama and Holder, went to uh, St. Louis uh, with, when the violence occurred there. I, you know, it's it's kind of interesting to me that uh, you'd say that the President shouldn't go there uh, in in uh, Wisconsin. Yeah, I, well, I'm not endorsing what uh, Holder did either. Right. Uh, now, getting back to Biden's Pennsylvania trip, yeah. uh, it was a surprise trip. And it came out, his, he announced the trip after the latest polls were released, showing Trump, the Trump campaign gaining uh, ground on him. Uh, they kept the exact location in South, they just said he was going to southwestern Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And it was kept secret. And the news media, which has to set up cameras, so they certainly know where Biden is, is going to speak way in advance. They kept the secret as well. They're in his pocket. And my theory is that the, hmm. the Trump team's ground game is so strong in western Pennsylvania, which is a, Allegheny County is a Democratic bastion. Fifty-five percent of the people vote Democratic and only 39 percent vote uh, Republican, and the rest are independents. Hmm. But I think Biden is fearful of counter-protesters. Hmm. And, so, and so he has this mysterious secret uh, trip to Pennsylvania. Uh, you know, and it'll be carefully orchestrated, mm-hmm. um, and uh, he'll be in and out. But the it, it just uh, suggests to me that there's genuine panic inside the Biden campaign. Oh, I think that's absolutely true. He's now that uh, apparently this violence is beginning to splash on the Democrat Party. They didn't say anything about it during the uh, convention, and now it's become an issue. And they're saying it's Trump's fault. <laughs> so. And it's happening in these Democrat cities. So uh, I guess my point is that he's changing course right now. He's coming out of the basement. At one point, he said, well, you know, they said, can you win this thing by just staying in the basement? He said, yes. I guess he's changing his mind. 
uh, he has to change his mind or it's proof that he's out of his mind. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> uh, Jim, it's so interesting that I'll to talk to you. I just genuinely appreciate your commentary here. I took you off, uh, off, uh, our theme today, but, uh, nevertheless, I thought it was a great conversation. So again, again, the, the name of the two books, and I encourage you to read them. I had so much fun reading. Of course, I'm from Washington DC area, but it's follow the leader and its sequel, shake the money tree. Jim, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. Always a pleasure. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, if you would like to receive the newsletter that I send out after each show, you can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. Also, appreciate your comments on the show. You can, again, tell me what you like and don't like. Always appreciate that as well. bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you join us tomorrow. We're going to visit with Kathleen Pasadomo, our state senator. Boo Mortensen up in Madison, Wisconsin will be with us. Seat Motley is the founder and president of uh, less government and Dr. James Studnicki. He's the director of uh, data analytics at the Charlotte Lozier Institute. We'll be talking about racial disparities in abortion, just a study that just came out. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. <laughs>